Morning. Very good to have each of you here this morning. I texted Lonnie earlier in the week and maybe just yesterday and said, you might need some extra chairs set up. We're going to have a full house. And it is good to have all the benches full and we trust that the reason you're here is not just because this is the normal thing to do on a Sunday morning, but rather that the Lord has placed in your heart a desire to seek Him and His will and counsel. Brother Jeff's opening, uh, he read from Jeremiah, and I think the first psalm is based upon that uh, portion of Jeremiah because as David wrote the first psalm, he wrote, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the seat of the sinners, nor sitteth, nor walketh in the way of the sinner, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. For his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. In the beginning of that uh, psalm are these words, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. If you'll turn with me to Second uh, Chronicles, the 10th chapter, I want to read a story that's probably familiar to most of you, uh, but it gives an account of a man who sought counsel, and he took that counsel, and it shows what the results of that counsel are. And the man's name was Rehoboam. He was Solomon's son, Solomon's son who took over the kingship after Solomon passed away, after Solomon died. Rehoboam, I think, initially had some, some good instincts, uh, but he kind of went astray. In the 10th chapter, I want to read the entire chapter. So we'll begin at the first verse. It says, And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for to Shechem were all Israel come, to make him king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was in Egypt, whither he had fled from the presence of Solomon the king, heard it that Jeroboam returned out of Egypt. And they sent and called him. So Jeroboam and all Israel came and spake to Rehoboam, saying, Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now therefore ease thou somewhat the grievous servitude of thy father and his heavy yoke that he put upon us, and we will serve thee. And he said unto them, Come again unto me after three days. And the people departed. And King Rehoboam took counsel of the old men that had stood before Solomon his father while he yet lived, saying, What counsel give me, give ye me to return answer to this people? And they spake unto him, saying, If thou be kind to this people and please them, and speak good words to them, they will be thy servants forever. But he forsook the counsel which the old men gave him, and took counsel with the young men that were brought up with him that stood before him. And he said unto them, What advice give ye me, give ye, that we may return answer to this people which have spoken to me, saying, Ease somewhat the yoke that thy father did put upon us. And the young men that were brought up with him spake unto him, saying, Thus shalt thou answer the people that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made our yoke heavy. But that make thy father made our yoke heavy, but make it thou somewhat lighter for us. Thus shalt thou say to them, 
My little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. For whereas my father put a heavy yoke upon you, I will put more to your yoke. My father chastened you with whips, but I will chasten you, chastise you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day, as the king bade, saying, Come again to me on the third day. And the king answered them roughly, and King Rehoboam forsook the counsel of the old men, and answered them after the advice of the young man, men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add thereto. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. So the king hearkened not unto the people, for the cause was of God, that the Lord might perform his word, which he spake by the hand of Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. And when all Israel saw that the king would not hearken unto them, the people answered the king, saying, What portion have we in David? And we have none inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to your tents, O Israel. And now, David, see to thine own house. So all Israel went to their tents. But as for the children of Israel that dwelt in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. Then King Rehoboam sent to Hadarim, Adoram, rather, that was over the tribute. And the children of Israel stoned him with stones that he died. But King Rehoboam made speed to get him up to his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. And Israel rebelled against the house of David unto this day. This is an interesting story from several standpoints. The one I want to concentrate on this morning is this issue of counsel. And we have a lot of young people in the crowd this morning, and that's, I, I guess, maybe one reason that the Lord led me to this particular chapter and to this concept. All of you have been given counsel at one time or another. And maybe you followed that counsel and maybe you didn't, and maybe you felt like that was good counsel or maybe you did not. I don't know what the situation is, and all of us go through life, and oftentimes we might ask advice from other people. But in this story, you have some real contrasts, and I want to bring those contrasts out uh, so that you might consider in your own life what the counsel of others means to you and whether or not you find it to be good or not. In this story, Rehoboam is confronted by Jeroboam and the nation, the, 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 the tribes that we find uh, later on in the scriptures called Israel, as opposed to Judah. And we see those, th these people come and they use Jeroboam as their spokesman and they bring him, he, he comes to Rehoboam and he says, the tribute is too much for us, ease it somewhat. So we, we look at this and we say tribute, that was taxes. Well, as I understand it in reality, what was going on was that Solomon had basically were, were using the, the, the children of Israel uh, for the benefit of the kingdom. So instead of paying taxes uh, with money or goods, they actually paid it in labor. So this was forced labor that these people were asking to be lightened and as Jeroboam comes to Rehoboam, he says, your father put a lot of onus on us to do 
a lot of his work, and maybe this was working in the vineyards, the king's vineyards, uh, tending his uh, cattle, whatever it was, his sheep, whatever it was, the people said it's too much. We don't have enough time left over then uh, to see to our own goods and our own vineyards and our own work. So we need to lighten this somewhat. And Rehoboam's instinct was good, I think, in the beginning of this. His instinct was uh, to take counsel. He really didn't know what to do. And he said, so come back in three days. And in three days, I'll have an answer for you. That's essentially what he was asking when he, when he told them uh, to return in three days. And so he goes, as the story accounts, he goes to the men who were older, to his father's advisors. And he says to them, they asked me to lighten the tribute. What should I do? And the old men said, listen to them. Because you have an opportunity at this point in time. This is, this is an opportunity to not only bring the kingdom uh, together, but it is a time in which you will, you will affix yourself as the king of these people forever. This will be a time, uh, an opportunity to show the people that you care. This will be an opportunity to show the people that you have wisdom. This will show the, the people that you have, uh, you have an opportunity to show the people at this time uh, that their voices can be heard by the king. So he says, okay, thank you very much. And then he goes to the young men who were brought up who were around his age. He grew up with them. He was friends with them. Uh, he knew them from the time that they were young. And he presents the same problem to, to them. He says to them, they're wanting me to lighten the tribute. What do you say that I should do? What, do you, what's, what answer should I give to them? And they said, you know, here's an opportunity to show yourself strong. Here's an opportunity to be your own man. Here's an opportunity to exceed your father. Here's an opportunity to be a real king, to show the world what a real king does. Be your own man. Be greater than your father. Tell them this. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. I have power. You think he was a great king. Wait till you see, wait till I get going. Wait till you see me in action. I'm not going to lower your tribute. I'm going to increase it. You sluggards, you aren't doing enough for the kingdom. You owe me more. Rehoboam says, thank you very much. Let me consider this. And he thinks about it. Now he's got a choice to make. He's got a choice to make to follow the counsel of those who were older or the counsel of those who were younger. He has the, the opportunity to, to consider the counsel of those who said you have an opportunity here to establish yourself in a relationship with the people that is based on some principles that go way, way back and that are wisdom. Or you have the opportunity uh, to, to consider the counsel and the direction of young men who have no experience who are operating out of the desire to show themselves wise to you and give you counsel, which is foolish. This essentially wasn't told to him in so many words, but that was the net effect of it. So Rehoboam, when, when Jeroboam comes back to him, he takes the counsel of the young men, and he says, it, 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 the, the scripture records that he speaks to them roughly. In other words, He's speaking to them in such a way that he wants to establish that relationship based upon not being uh, a man who is of and for the people, 
but rather a man who is over the people and who commands the people and who establishes himself as strong. And he sorely miscalculated the mood of the people because that caused a rift in, king, in the kingdom, which at the end of the chapter says exists to this day, to the time that this was written. It was Judah and Israel, and they were two separate uh, entities, two separate countries, because of this man's decision. So here's the question for us. Here's the question for you. And this doesn't apply just to young people, but it applies to all of us. And there's no time to learn something like the present. You know, sometimes we make mistakes in the past and we learn from our mistakes. But you know what? The scripture indicates in this story and in other places in the scriptures that there is an opportunity to learn not from our own mistakes, but from the mistakes of others. I think this is an opportunity to learn from the mistakes of others. The mistake of Rehoboam. And so I want to point some things out from this. And this, again, is not going to be exhaustive. It's not everything that could be said about this. But some things that stand out particularly to me about this. And so the, the, the title of this is Wise Counsel. Wise Counsel. There's not a person in this building today who couldn't use wise counsel from time to time. And I think those of us who might consider ourselves wise would see that counsel can be a good thing. Sometimes we don't know the answer. We're presented with a dilemma, a problem, a direction that we need to go, a decision that we need to make. And we don't really know what the answer is. Now there's people out there who are consultants. And these consultants get paid. Some of them get paid a lot just to give advice. They do nothing more than simply give advice. They come in, they look at a situation, perhaps in business, and they, they interview people, they look at situations, they might look at the books, the financials, uh, they look at the human resources, they look at the, uh, the uh, challenges in the manufacturing process, or whatever it might be, and they go back and they make up a report, and they hand the report to the CEO or to the president or whoever of the company, and they say, this is our advice. That will be $50,000. Thank you very much. That's, again, arbitrary numbers. The point of that is, is that the leaders of that corporation were asking for counsel, and they were willing to pay a lot of money to get that counsel. I would submit to you that each of us has resources or counsel that we don't have to pay big bucks for. The problem is that the cheaper the advice, the more inclined we are to ignore it. Isn't that true? If, if we have to pay dearly for something, we pay more attention to it. And that's why experience is such a good tutor. Because we learn from the past by having made mistakes. And that's why... There are paradigms and maxims that are written and, and spoken about the value of experience. Well, let's assume for a minute that, as you young people are, you don't have a lot of experience. You have some experience. You may have learned from mom and dad that disobedience uh, results in pain, sometimes to the backside. Uh, sometimes to getting privileges taken away. 
and, and other things. And as you grow older and you, be, you become a teenager, you begin to realize that mom and dad are totally capricious and selfish and they don't care about you whatsoever. Then when you get a little bit older, you realize that maybe that's a bit of a skewed way to look at things and maybe they did care a little bit about you, but they still didn't really know what was in your best interest. Then when you get older and you have children of your own, you realize your parents loved you dearly and everything that they told you was for your best good. You were just too stubborn or ignorant to know it. And that is the story of our lives, right? So here is something that if you could learn just from somebody speaking, not from experience, but from somebody speaking, from the scriptures, here are some things that you maybe could pay attention to. Number one, wise counsel always espouses and conforms to biblical principles. Okay, wise counsel always. So if you want to know, if you ask a question, if you want some advice, if you want some counsel from someone, and you, and you want some criteria by which you can know, is it good counsel or bad? It surely Rehoboam, when he listened to the counsel of these men, should have been able to ascertain that some of them were going to be good and some of them were going to be evil or bad. And he should have known a few principles since Solomon, his father, was, as the scripture indicates, one of the wisest men who ever lived. He could have read some of the Proverbs of his father, and he could have ascertained, but he didn't, apparently. And he was operating out of something that we'll talk about a little bit later. But for us, wise counsel always espouses and conforms to biblical principles. The problem is that it's not always easy to determine or to perceive that, that, that uh, principle in the counsel that someone gives us. There's all sorts of of different scenarios in which we could present, which, you know, maybe doesn't necessarily seem to have biblical principles in it. But, but the scripture talks about so many different aspects of life that it isn't really all that hard to do if we are open to it. So biblical principles. What do the Ten Commandments say? Thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and so forth and so on. These, these uh, principles that God laid out in the Ten Commandments have to do primarily with what? They have to do primarily with relationships. Thou shalt not steal. Why? Because it damages someone else. Thou shalt not kill. Why? Because it damages someone else. Thou shalt not lie. Why? Because it damages someone else. And, it, and they always put constraints on us as individuals, on our selfishness, all right? So these principles that we find in Scripture are, are, are extended through the counsel of others in such a way that it is good counsel when it conforms and espouses biblical principles, okay? It always blesses others. It's not selfish to the hurt of others. And that was one of Rehoboam's problems. Rehoboam, when he listened to the counsel of these men, what ultimately did he base his decision to listen to the counsel of the young men upon? He did it based on his own desires, his own wants. And what was he going to get out of it? He was going to get out of this counsel. He was going to get a feeling of superiority. He was going to get 
more power. He was going to get more money. He was going to get more fame, perhaps, as a great king. He was going to exceed uh, his father in some way. He was going to have a kingdom which was wealthy. At least he was going to, to benefit by it because these were indentured servants, essentially. And when he weighed that against what the other, what the wise counsel was of, his, of the aged men, what were they suggesting? Number one, he was going to take a loss. He was going to take a loss personally. Financially, he was going to, to lose money. Second thing was, he was going to look weak. And if there's anything that men don't like, it's looking weak and losing money, right? <laughs> we don't like to look weak, and we don't like to lose money. And so he had a very high incentive to listen to the counsel of those young men, and a very low incentive to listen to the counsel of those who were older and wiser. But now let's contrast the two. These old men, what did they have? What did they have going for them as counselors? Number one, they had experience. Experience in, in advising Solomon. They had lived with Solomon. They had seen the wisdom of Solomon. And as he had counseled with them, I think they probably learned as much from him as he learned from them. And Solomon was a wise man. And so they had experience. They had age, which brings experience. They had the, the, the insight that comes from having experienced different things. And so their counsel to Rehoboam was not something that they wanted, they wanted in order to see him be lowered or to see him uh, somehow diminished either financially or in his uh, power base or whatever it might be. They perceived the situation rightly. They perceived that Jeroboam was a strong leader. They perceived that this people were fed up with this tribute that they were having to pay. They perceived that even though it might be uh, more to, to Rehoboam's advantage financially to either keep the tribute the same or increase it, that wisdom said this was a sticky situation in which he could only lose by going that direction. And so they told him, you have an opportunity here. Listen to our counsel. You have an opportunity, the opportunity to solidify the kingdom and your kingship by doing as they ask. It's not unreasonable. Solomon was a very wise man, but he was also a very rich man. And he did so partially because of this tribute. And so they said, back off. What did the young men have? They didn't have the experience. They simply had their time growing up together. They had a relationship with Rehoboam. And they had their futures ahead of them. And in that future, they saw a really cushy place as an advisor to the king. And if they would give him the advice that he was looking for, that they perceived would be uh, something that he would value, then it would cement their place around his table and the financial fallout from the king. So you see, they had a lot of self-interest here. And that self-interest went all the way up the chain to the king. And then it caused a real problem in the kingdom. And Rehoboam lost all of his, all the tribes of Israel except Judah. And it split the kingdom. So you think about the counselors. I, I, I think you need to evaluate that. If you're seeking the counsel of someone, or if someone gives it to you unsolicited, what happens? Well, we think about that, and we tend to think like Rehoboam did. What is it that is, is how is it going to benefit me? Uh, in whatever way. 
And we tend to take that counsel based on self. We don't think about it in terms of whether it will bless others. Have you ever made a decision that is, is, a, is, is based upon what will happen in the far distant future? Have you ever made a decision based upon its effect upon your potential grandchildren and not just yourself or your children? You ever make decisions based on the effects that it will have in generations to follow you? I'll guarantee you, young people, that when you become parents, you will begin to think more and more about that. And those decisions may be decisions that have already been made. You already made them in your younger years, and now you regret them, and you will see the effect upon the future generations. Have you ever made decisions thinking about the future of, for instance, the body of Christ, the church? Have you, have you ever made decisions based upon that, about, upon that which might be in conflict with your personal interest, but will, which will benefit the kingdom of heaven down the road or in another place. You see, there, there, are more, there are more consequences to be considered than the immediate future and selfish interests. And, and this is what Rehoboam didn't think about either. He didn't think about that. What he thought about was how it would benefit him in the immediate future, how it would make him look. Uh, what a strong, uh, powerful, independent king he would, he would be perceived as. And what the people really saw him as was a greedy tyrant. So wise counsel espouses and conforms to biblical principles by blessing others and thinking long term. It also honors God. If you have wise counsel, godly counsel, it will always honor God. It will never contravene that principle, ever. It will always honor God. Now, sometimes we think of something that we need to make a decision about, and we can't really see, because of the complexity of the situation, really how it will benefit God or, or honor God or whatever. But if we think about it long enough, and if we consider the scriptural principles that might be involved in that situation. I think we can get to that point where we can see that one direction will honor God and another will not. How about justice? That's a big word in our society today. How about justice? Or, as people like to call it, equity. Now, there's a whole political arena in which that word is, is used. Uh, that's not where we're going. But, but justice is, in fact, honesty, not lying, not committing adultery, not stealing and killing and so forth. As a scriptural basis, these very basic principles of God, uh, these things can be brought into our decision-making. Justice. And, and justice, again, has a selfless aspect to it that has to be brought to bear to any decision that we make. We don't live in a vacuum. What we do affects other people. And so as we think about that, we have to make decisions based upon that. Some decisions, we think, eh, they don't really matter. But we should think about it. And I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to encourage uh, 
you know, analysis or paralysis by analysis. That that happens, but we don't need to to be uh, to to analyze every decision from that standpoint. But but those that are of of import, those that are important, and those that can affect other people, we need to make decisions based on that these principles. Sometimes uh, we can do something. The Apostle Paul wrote in the New Testament, uh, all things are lawful, right? All things are lawful. I can do many things that God won't condemn me for, but he says, not everything is expedient. What does that mean? Not everything is expedient. Again, that's outward facing. It says, it's lawful for me to do something, but if I offend someone else in my liberty of doing that, then I should abstain. So it's outward facing. It's not inward. And so when we make a decision, it might have to be a split-second decision. This means we need to train ourselves in the way that we think about making decisions and what criteria we use to make decisions with. Does it honor God? Does it serve justice? Does it make peace? Is it truthful? There's the thing. Sometimes we have to make a decision based on something that might perpetuate a misinformation. It might perpetuate uh, someone's anger or bitterness, or it might heal or make peace. And so we can make a, a decision based on wise counsel that is not selfish, that blesses others, that honors God, that makes peace, that serves justice. Now we'll think a minute, I, I talked about this just a little bit ago, about the source of wise counsel. So this is not necessarily only about decision-making, but it's about seeking counsel to help us to make decisions. All right, so we're, we're, we have to make a decision about something and we seek counsel. Who do we seek counsel from? And even as we uh, talked about a little, a little bit earlier, sometimes there are those people who are so generous that they give us counsel without our even asking for it. You know, we love people that give free stuff to us, right? Except those who give free advice. And those who give free advice, we're not nearly as thankful for. But think about this, the source of wise counsel. If you're going to ask counsel as to whether you should steal something, should you ask a thief? No. If you uh, are going to ask counsel about infidelity, would you ask someone who is a cheater? No, you shouldn't, right? So you don't you don't ask people who are going to give you a positive feedback loop, right? If you want to make a decision, if you want to go into business for yourself or whatever it might be, do you ask someone who has never been in business for themselves what the ins and outs of that are? are? No, you shouldn't. Should you ask someone about whether or not you should accept uh, a, a, an invitation to a date from some person? Uh, should you ask counsel of someone who thinks that person uh, is the greatest person in the world and has nothing bad to say about them and might not be the wisest? Why don't you seek out someone who knows something based on their experience about character types? Seek the counsel of a godly person, in other words. Seek the counsel of someone who knows biblical principles and can, can apply them for you in a situation to show you maybe what the layout of the land is, that which you're asking about, a godly person. 
I want to go, I want to go back to Psalms 1.1. What does it say? Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. So to put that in the positive frame, blessed is the man who walks in the counsel of the godly. Those who take godly counsel and apply it to perplexing situations in their lives. Godly people can help you guide your life in a way that does what? Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the seat, or, or standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight, this is the guy who's walking here and standing and so forth, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. That means that we have a, a fertile seedbed in which to take good godly counsel. All right? We're already predisposed to listen to godly counsel in that case. Okay? But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law did he meditate day and night, and he shall be like what? A tree planted by a river of water. And what happens to a tree planted by a river of water? Whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Prosper financially, that's how we think about it, of course. But I believe rather that we should see that as prospering spiritually, prospering emotionally, prospering uh, uh, intellectually, if you will. Okay? There's more than one way to prosper, and we, we naturally go to the most selfish thing, prospering financially. But his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And then it goes on to talk about the ungodly and says they are not so. Source of wise counsel is a godly person. Here's another source. If your delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his God's law, you meditate day and night. That is, it's never far from you. You know scriptural principles. You know Bible verses and so forth. Then you're probably not going to need counsel, right? No, that's not true. But you have that seed bed in which good seeds can be sown. Then you have what? You have the Holy Spirit. And this is... this. This is a that still small voice that says, you better not do that. You better not do that. You better not do that. And we say, boy, is that irritating. The reason God gives us his Holy Spirit is that he will guide us into truth. And we have to apply truth to situations. If we're going to have counsel, if we're going to take counsel, if we're going to listen to counsel, we've got to know truth. We've got to know the truth when we hear it. The Holy Spirit will always speak truth. Which takes us to the next one, truth speakers. And there is um, verses in Proverbs I want to read in the 27th chapter, Proverbs 27. Probably most of you know this verse. Proverbs 27, verse 6, I think. Yeah, verse 6. And we'll throw in verse 9 as a bonus. Verse 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. This verse has gone over and over and over in my mind in the past, I don't know how many months. And I don't know why, particularly, except that God is emphasizing this to me. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Listen, the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. That is, they don't care about you. Your enemies don't care about you. In fact... They will make you think you're your friend just so they can see you fall, just so they can trip you. Okay, forget about the enemies when it comes to counsel. We're talking 
the, 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 the wounds of a friend. And what does that mean? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. The wounds of a friend are, are those people who tell you the truth in spite of the fact that it isn't what you want to hear. Faithful means to be supportive or to build up. To build up by telling someone something they don't want to hear is friendship at its very core, at its most useful, at its very best. Friends who simply like the prodigal son, who are with you as long as you got money, those aren't friends, all right? And this is a, this is a hard truth to bear sometimes. And I don't know how many times over the course of my life in nearly 60 years, I have heard they were told not to marry that person. They were begged not to marry that person, and they didn't listen. And this is always said upon the occasion when the marriage implodes or explodes. Okay? Young people, if somebody tells you, don't marry that person, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Listen to Proverbs 27.6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. They know something you don't. They have experience with something that you don't have. Listen to them. 27.9 says, Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart, so doth the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. Listen, good friends are going to tell you things you don't want to hear. Those are the friends who are your true friends. Those are the friends upon whom you can count when the chips are down. Those are the friends who really care for your heart, and they're not like the young counselors of Rehoboam. They're not doing it for their own good. In fact, if, they, if, if your friendship is on the line, if you take counsel of someone and they say something that could make you angry at them, those are your best friends. Hang on to them for life. You know, that applies to us as brothers and sisters in the faith, too. <laughs> you get somebody who, you, you get into a conflict or something, and you, and, you, and you seek out counsel. Seek out counsel of those who will tell you the truth, who will point out your faults, who will tell you where you're wrong. Those are your friends. Those are your brothers in the faith. Truth speakers. Not what you want to hear. Age. Okay, so the contrast in this little thing was the old men versus the young men. And is it always the case that the young will give bad counsel and the old good counsel? No, there's foolish old people. What is that saying? Uh, there's no fool like an old fool. Something like that. If people were foolish when they're younger, are they automatically going to be wise when they're older? No, not necessarily. Uh, but uh, the truth will out, and eventually you can find people who are wise because of what? Because they were wise when they were younger? Oh, what a great advantage that is. But primarily, you know why old people are wise? It's because they have experience. And it's just the bottom line. And I told you before, I've, if I've heard it once, I've heard it I don't know how many times they were, they were begged not to marry that person. Oh, I, I heard that just this week. Just this week. I heard it again. And, 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 and faithful are the wounds of a friend. And they, those wounds were, were patched over and ignored. Age gives what? Insight and experience. Not because someone is so terribly wise uh, inherently, but because they have experience and insight. They've seen this story before. They've heard these things play out. They've heard these arguments. They've, they've experienced things in their own life, and they're willing to pass that on to you. Listen to it. It's good counsel. 
Does that mean young people can't give good counsel? No, doesn't mean that at all. But don't don't take the counsel of just one person. And here's another one. Source of wise counsel is very, very possibly not, drum roll, you. Okay? If you need counsel, you are not your best counselor. And I know there's people who think, you know, I'm the smartest guy going. I'm the smartest guy in any room I walk into, so why would I take anybody else's counsel? It just doesn't make any sense. I've got it all. I've got it together. I've got wisdom. I've got age. I've got experience. I know it all. You know what? Those are probably the people who uh, find themselves in rooms alone sometimes because as soon as they come in, everybody else leaves. You are not your own best counselor. In Psalms 38, uh, the writer David writes, My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. David was a wise guy. He recognized his own foolishness at times. And he wrote the 51st Psalm in because of his sin with Bathsheba. He recognized and was able to have reflection on his own life. So here's a final bit of advice about, about wise counsel. And this is probably the most important part. We must be open to counsel. If we're not open to it, doesn't matter how many people, they can jaw all day long, they can tell us the most wise things in the world, it can be godly counsel, it can be based upon scriptural principles, it can be the stupidest thing in the world, doesn't matter, we're not going to listen to anybody anyway. So if we're not open to counsel, there's no point in getting it. Rehoboam was initially open to that, wasn't he? Because he said, come back in three days. He didn't know the answer to the question. He didn't know what to do. And he wanted to take counsel. That was a wise move. That was good. It's just that eventually, itself got in the way. The future path of the kingdom of Israel was determined by the decision of a king to listen to either foolish or wise counsel. The entire country, their future was determined by this. Your life's future path may well be determined by a similar event. To whom will you trust your future to? To whom will you trust your future? Never end in a prepositional phrase. I was taught in English. To whom will you trust your future? To the counsel of the godly? To the counsel of a friend who is willing to wound? or to people who will tell you what you want to hear. You know, oftentimes if, if the counsel is something that upsets or angers you, you need to listen, you need to stop, you need to think. This is probably good counsel. Let me think about this some more. How many times has it happened to you that you've heard counsel that you didn't like? And when you stop and examine it, it's because it didn't satisfy your personal ambitions or lusts or desires. And so you ignored it and to your own peril. Like David said, my wounds are open and corrupt because of my foolishness. Just some counsel from the word this morning. I trust that God will be able to use it in your life. Maybe you're facing a decision or soon will be. 
uh, or even have faced one in the past where you can see that some of these principles you didn't follow and you can learn from them. May God help us to learn uh, and to seek out godly counsel is our prayer this morning.